0: Welcome to the IASA Podcast. I'm Jason Neville. With me uh, today is Mike Chamnus. Uh, Mike is a name that many of you would be uh, familiar with, a former director of communications for IASA. Mike, you're now in a new role. Why don't you sort of update our listeners who are familiar familiar with you and your past uh, role with IASA and sort of what you're doing now? Sure.
1: Well, first of all, good to be here with you, Jason.
0: Um, I am chairing the
1: Illinois Terrorism Task Force, which is what I had done for 12 years before I retired from state government and uh, joined IASA, and then I retired from IASA at the end of December, Uh, there was an opening uh, for chair of the ITTF, and so that's what I'm back doing now, basically just helping out at this point in time, Uh, so
0: I'm back doing what I used to do. Mm -hmm. That's great. Recently, uh, give us a little bit of update. There were some recommendations that were made uh, to the governor's office by the Illinois Terrorism School Task Force.
1: Yeah, so uh, what happened was after the tragic shootings in Parkland, Florida, we convened a committee to the Illinois Terrorism Task Force, actually a working group called the School Safety Working Group. Okay. It included state and local law enforcement representatives, the Office of the State Fire Marshal, IASA, the School Board Association, the Regional Superintendents of the Illinois State Board of Education. So a blend of educators, law enforcement, and other first responders. We, our focus was very narrow, Jason. Um, it was a focus on active shooter or intruder in a school, and we avoided the political pitfalls of getting involved in gun legislation or anything like that. We chose instead to focus, to try to come up with some practical recommendations, some suggestions for school officials to consider that might incrementally help make their schools safer. There's not a single answer out there to the issue of school violence. In fact, there's not a single person with all of the answers. So we put around this table some subject matter experts as I said, from law enforcement, from uh, the schools, Dr. Clark represented IASA and was a strong voice on, on this group. And we, it wasn't a democracy. If we couldn't get a clear consensus on an issue, by that I mean that law enforcement believes it would be something that would help with the safety aspect. And school officials believed it was something they, A, needed, and B, could actually use and we didn't move a recommendation forward until we got that strong consensus between law enforcement and and educators, and that happened. We chose. Uh, we sent 13 recommendations to the governor's office within 30 days of forming this group. That's another part of our mission. I mean, you see, government task forces sometimes that take six months, nine months, and they produce a glossy 200-page report, but then nothing ever happens, and the issue they're dealing with may have gotten worse in that period of time or, or maybe gotten better even, we wanted to do something quickly and provide some recommendations, some information, some expertise for school officials to consider. And we did that, and I'd be happy to run through them.
0: quickly. Yeah, I wanted want to make to. sure any, all of our listeners are aware that IESA on our website has a, a link to this report and all the recommendations. But superintendents are very busy, mm-hmm. uh, work 60-hour weeks, some of them, and they don't have time to always read through a whole report, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this podcast so they can, in the car, they can sort of hear this and get some of the updates. But if you could touch on some of the main recommendations in that report. I'll quickly run through the 13. The first one we had was that all school districts
1: should try to put together a behavioral threat assessment team. And that, this goes back, I was part of leading the campus security task force after the shootings at Virginia Tech and Northern Illinois University a few years ago. One of the recommendations from that group became state law that requires all colleges and universities in the state of Illinois to have behavioral threat assessment teams that include mental health professionals, include people from the college and university, and include law enforcement to get that perspective as well. The, inter- the law does not include K-12. through And we chose not to try to push a change in the law to mandate this because, as you all know, and as I know from my seven years at IASA, there are about 200 unfunded mandates right now out there for public schools. We did not want to do that. We didn't think that would be effective or any more effective than recommending a best practice. Interestingly enough, we have people on the task force um, from colleges and universities, and they told us that they really did not like the law when it was implemented because it requires a lot of time to do it properly. But they said, interestingly, they said if the law went away, they would keep their behavioral threat assessment teams because they've been so effective. We also recommended that we form regional behavioral threat assessment teams, and we're in the process of doing that right now to provide a resource for school districts that, for whatever reason, cannot form their own teams. Well, the cousin to that, uh, recommendation number two, was that they put a policy in their handbook or in their policy book uh, stating that they will have these behavioral threat assessment teams. The process will go. They want parents to sign to say they'll participate. But the language we put out there, uh, model language, was that if the parents choose not to participate, and that happens sometimes in dysfunctional family situations, Mm -hmm. that the process would continue with or without them. The third recommendation had to do with information sharing between schools and law enforcement. That recommendation is that school districts cite MOUs with their local law enforcement agencies for the exchange of information, two-way exchange, that the school district will give information to law enforcement that A, is in line with student privacy laws, but B, law enforcement needs to know about And conversely, law enforcement would alert school officials if they know of something that might have an impact on student safety in their schools. Information sharing between schools. Uh, We have recommended some changes to state law having to do with a student who transfers from one school to another. The student record is separate from the disciplinary record, which is a five-year, disciplinary is a five-year record. It goes, whatever it did six years ago goes away. So what happens, the law in Illinois is permissive right now. It allows school district A to notify school district B, but doesn't mandate that that happens. So our recommendation covers a couple of things. We want, we want to fill well, what the group saw as a gap, and that is you've got a student who might be facing suspension or expulsion, but before the school board takes that action, they transfer to another school. Okay that new school may or may not ever know that that was the case because a sheet of good standing that a student takes would not indicate they'd been suspended or expelled because they hadn't yet. Um, and anecdotally, um, my daughter is a secretary at a, at a school around here uh, in central Illinois, and she took a call, a phone call after Parkland from a principal at another school who said, student, so-and-so, and parents are headed your way. Here are things you need to know. She took that information, passed it to the unit office. Now, with a public school, you can't deny someone to register in your school district, but this student ended up in an alternative school. The school district is still responsible for the student, but based on what had happened in the previous district, this student is in an alternative school setting. If that principal had not made that call, This school district, the receiving district, would never have known about those issues. Um, So we're trying to to fill that gap. And also as a best practice, say to school districts, to school officials, Mm -hmm. when you're getting a transfer student, a good policy might be to reach back to the original school and say, you know, would you mind sending us the disciplinary record or is there anything we need to know? The... The fifth recommendation had to do with student reporting of threats. According to FBI statistics, in 88% of the mass school shooting cases, at least one student in that school knew that something might happen, but for whatever reason, they don't come forward. So we're endeavoring by working with students, endeavoring to find out why they don't come forward, what can we do in terms of marketing, the see something, say something message. What can we do to encourage that? And also, if students are going to come forward, what does that look like? Who are they going to tell? So we also, recommendation number six, is that we implement in the state of Illinois a centralized uh, tip line. We had adults around the table, and we began talking about a hotline, and some people had had teenagers said, well, wait a minute, my kids don't make phone calls. Mm-hmm. They Instagram, they text, they tweet They do other things with social media But they don't necessarily make calls So we began looking into that um, There's a program in Colorado that started after Columbine It started in 2004, which is a few years after Columbine But was a result of the Columbine Commission report they started a social or a digital tip line in the state of Colorado called Safe to Tell Colorado. And we're taking a look at that model. Um, they get most of their two-thirds or more of their tips that come mm-hmm. in are through social media. Uh, the number one thing they hear about in Colorado are plans for attacks in schools. Number two, suicide. Number three, bullying. Um We're actually sending people from state police to Colorado in mid-June to go out there and visit and take a look at that program. Uh, So we want to encourage students to step forward, and then we want to give them an anonymous way to do that. And by law in Colorado, it is anonymous. Uh, the good thing with the program in Colorado, and what we're modeling here, is when that information comes in, and it would come into the statewide terrorism intelligence center, which is a 24 by 7 operation, we would put school safety analyst in there, 24 by 7, but the software that's used, each school district in Colorado, by law, has to participate. You, they have five end users, so the software takes the tip that comes in, and once it's Looked at and vetted by the people In the statewide terrorism intelligence center It pushes that back out To the local community one of those End users is local law enforcement always The other four typically are school Administrators so that Tip goes back to them To run the ground and it becomes the job Of the statewide terrorism intelligence center To make certain that tip was Resolved in one way or another So there's follow up to that Um, the seventh recommendation, the next set of recommendations come under the heading of hardening the facilities. So we provided a list of suggestions to harden facilities for school officials to take a look at. Recommendation number eight was that school districts, again, try to form site assessment teams. And those teams, what they would look like would be of course school administrators, officials, local law enforcement, local fire service, and perhaps even local emergency management. Once again, we're talking about the state forming regional site assessment teams that would look the same. So if a district doesn't have the ability to do a regional site assessment, and we heard that from the educators on Mm -hmm. the committee that schools just don't have the resources to do it, um, that we would provide that resource to plug into local school officials on a regional level. Now, we're going to require training And we're going to work with Mabus, which is a statewide fire mutual aid system, and ILEAS, a statewide law enforcement mutual aid system, to pass the word that we want to get local officers, fire and police, to take this training and then help their local schools to do these site security assessments. It's a day and a half of training. Western Illinois University is coming up with a training program for us, half day of kind of Instruction and then one day of hands- on you go to a school and, and walk through there. Um, number nine is something that's percolating now in the general Assembly this group we made the recommendation that the county school facilities sales tax law and also the health life safety tax levy law be changed to allow for a narrow expanded use of those funds to hire school resource officers, and or mental health workers. It would depend upon what the local school board and administration and community thought was the top priority for them. Um, So in other words, right now, you can use those funds. And 49 counties have the the one-cent sales tax now, Uh, about half the counties in the state of Illinois. You would make the decision at the local level whether you're going to fix the roof, hire a school resource officer, or a mental health worker for your school district, whatever you think the top priority is that given year. So I testified uh, yesterday before a House committee on this. I think there's good bipartisan support. Now, what we didn't want to do was do a bait-and-switch on on voters. So for the 49 counties that already passed the one-cent sales Mm -hmm. tax, They would have to go back to voters, not with the referendum all over again, but with a very narrow referendum asking voters, can we use this money for school resource officers and our mental health workers? And so we didn't think it's fair to change the rules after they passed the law. So for counties that want to put it on the ballot, They would have the choice to include that language in their referendum or not include that. It's up to them. Again, we believe, as I know IASA does, Mm -hmm. in local control, locally elected school board members and school administrators making decisions as opposed to Springfield making decisions and saying, this is what you shall do. So that was recommendation number nine. Um, Recommendation number ten, the the next set of recommendations have to do with what goes on inside a school building. Mm -hmm if there is an act of violence, an active shooter, an intruder. The first two sets, nine of the 13 recommendations are really what I would call on the prevention side. Mental health intervention, and I want to make clear on the mental health intervention, we're not talking about suspending or expelling or arresting students. I mean, it may get to that point at some point. We're talking about identifying someone who needs some mental health assistance and getting that to them at an early stage before they turn violent, And so that's that's the attempt there. Response protocols in schools, there are a lot of programs out there. There's a program called ALICE that tells you what you should do if somebody's in your school, program called I Love You Guys, and, and many other variations. We chose not to endorse any specific thing, but rather put out some core principles for a good effective response that school officials could consider. It's based around the run, hide, fight concept. I mean, the old concept was you shelter in place. And that actually, the genesis of that goes back to the 1970s in Los Angeles where their threat would be like gang, people outside the school shooting in through school Mm -hmm. windows and stuff. So you get below the windows, you shelter in place. But The threat now is somebody actually in the school. So a run, hide, Mm -hmm. fight basically says... We're saying to train your teachers, your staff, and even your students in some cases how to effectively run and when to do it, how to effectively hide when to do it, and when you might have to fight. Mm -hmm. Um, So if I were to use an example of the room, if we're in a room and you and I are sitting by a door very close to the door on the north side of the room, and there's a door way down on the south side of the room, If a shooter comes in that south door, the best chance we have is to immediately get out the north door. If a shooter comes in the north door, we cannot make the south door. Our only chance is to go at the shooter. In a school building, if you have 20 classrooms, what is appropriate response for classrooms 1 through 18 may not be for 19 and 20. 1 through 18, it may be evacuate as quickly as you can 19 might be hide, lock your door, and stay in your room, and 20 might be you're going to have to confront this person. So that's the reason for that, and there's training that's being provided out there for that. A recommendation, number 11, had to do with Senator Julie Morrison had a bill that she, Senate Bill 3593, said that... uh, and she worked with us, initially said the first 30 days, but the amend, amendment was within the first 90 days of each school, school year, there will be an active shooter drill that includes students present. there. Now, what that looks like would be left up to local school administrators and local law enforcement. Um, students
0: present is a big change. Is
1: that for elementary level too? It is, but, again, it may look way different. I have 6-year-old grandsons, twins, that attend kindergarten. They came home about a month ago and they said we had a, a drill today where the teacher locked the door and we were supposed to be very quiet and stay in the corner and the teacher was with them. There was there were no gunshots, nothing like that, but it was an active shooter drill. And it they weren't traumatized, they did what they were told to do, they weren't upset. It was like, hey, here's what we did today. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's, again, that would be a local decision. What's appropriate for elementary school's children and what's appropriate for high school age kids, students, those would be different. Okay. And community to community, based on what law enforcement recommends, based on what school administrators want to do and the community feeling, it might look different, Jason, than a one-size-fits-all. Nothing here is a one-size-fits-all. Now, Senator Morrison's bill, as of right now, isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, we This group endorsed it once she changed the 30 days to 90 days. We actually believe there should be more than one active shooter drill. Right now, there are three fire drills and one active shooter drill required by state law. Uh, We chose not to, again, try to add a fifth drill, but we have a recommendation that you do two active shooter drills, not necessarily with students present, and the reason for that is from my emergency management background. If you do a drill and you find some things that need fixed, you fix them, but how do you know you've actually fixed them unless you do a second drill to test whether... You have fixed what you found in drill number one. And talking to the fire marshal, Matt Perez, the state fire marshal, he's willing and thinks it might be a good idea to take one of the fire drills, one of the three fire drills, and make them a combined fire drill, active shooter drill. And that leads me to recommendation number 12, which is that the protocols when a fire alarm is pulled may need to be changed based on what happened in Parkland. Mm-hmm where apparently, according to all reports, the shooter pulled fire alarms to get students to come out of the classrooms where he could have an easier chance to shoot them. And 20 years ago, in Jonesboro, Arkansas, where students pulled the fire alarms, hid in the wood line outside, and shot students as they exited the school building. So in mid-March, the state fire marshal sent a memo to all fire chiefs in the state Saying that the recommendation now is for an up to three minute delay in evacuation when the fire alarm is pulled for situational awareness. In other words, you would have some people whose role would be to get in the hallway and make sure the hallways were safe and clear and the parking lots were safe and clear. And then within three minutes, there'd be a second alarm or signal that you now are going to evacuate. Um, again, this school violence thing changes everything. And that also has been endorsed by uh, the national group. NFPA 3000 was issued about three weeks ago, which recommended the same thing, an up to three-minute delay. So when you talk about a combined drill, that's what that drill could encompass. Fire alarms get pulled. Do we immediately evacuate or do we wait you know, for somebody to tell us it's, mm-hmm. it's clear to evacuate? Now, the caveat is you can't wait up to three minutes unless the buildings are sprinkled. Excuse me, I think every school building by law in Illinois has sprinklers, though. So that was takes care of number 12. And number 13 is simply our recommendation that teachers and staff receive some sort of trauma training. The simple knowledge of uh, being able to safely and effectively apply a tourniquet might save someone's life, not only in an active shooter situation, but... In any situation where a student might be injured, uh, before first responders get there, if somebody has this training. So we're working hard to, provide, to provide, the, provide this training for school districts, and that's still something we're working on.
0: You mentioned uh, some legislation along there. Will some of these laws, are all of them have to go through the to get, legislature to get passed, or can some be implemented through executive action?
1: Most of the, well, we're only talking about a couple of things when you talk about legislation. We're talking about changing the county school facility sales tax and health life safety tax levy. Those require action by the General Assembly. Senator Morrison's bill requiring um, students be present could be in law which would mandate it. But that's something that school officials, school administrators, and local law enforcement can implement now if they wish to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a third one out there. Senator Chapin Rose had a bill that I believe is dead now to allow for the use of secondary locks on classroom doors. And so our view of that, and the state fire marshal is, was on our group, and we followed his lead on this. Our view was a secondary lock, and what I'm talking about would be more like a deadbolt type of situation um, that still would meet fire code, which actually that code comes through the Illinois State Board of Education, that you could unlock from the inside. But our concern was, if you're going to put a second lock on a door to keep the intruder out, we want to make certain first responders can still get in. Senator Rose's bill did not accomplish that. Uh, so we would not back that bill and won't until that, that gets fixed because the first responders around the table said that's that's not doable for us. I mean, a kid we had four years ago, I believe it was, in McLean County District 5, a kid brought a gun to class, first period, held his classmates hostage. Um, thankfully, nobody was injured. He did fire a couple of shots into the ceiling before mm-hmm. the teacher got the gun, but if you had a lock on that door that first responders couldn't get in, now you've got a situation where you've got a shooter in there holding people hostage and, no, and there's no way to get in that door for first responders. Um, so our, that was our concern. Most of what we put out in these recommendations are things that school administrators can implement on their own absent any legislative action.
0: Well, that's good to hear. I know, uh, and I'm glad you mentioned un- unfunded mandates earlier, mm-hmm. and that's not something that you said you guys were, were trying to avoid. I know school superintendents earlier about that. Mike, thank you very much for uh, going over that whole report uh, and providing that resource to school superintendents on all of these uh, recommendations. I want to remind everybody again that we have uh, this whole report available on our website under our school safety tab. Is there another uh, other places where school safety resources that the state has?
1: Yeah, we have actually, uh, through Western Illinois University, they do our campus mm-hmm. safety training. Uh, we have a uh, a website there, mm-hmm. a campus safety website, and I'd be happy, Jason, mm-hmm. to get you. I don't have it with me yeah. right now, but I will get you that, um, that URL, that link to that mm-hmm. website. But everything that we've got, and then on ready.illinois.gov. ReadyIllinois.gov, I should say. We also have a school safety tab, and it's got the same information, so maybe that's mm-hmm. the easiest way to get there is ReadyIllinois.gov and then click on the the school safety uh, tab, and it will take you to this report and a number of other things that, that we have out there.
0: All good, Mike. It's good uh, seeing you again, and I'm glad Thanks. things are that's going it. well in your post-IASA uh, career uh this podcast uh we share it on social media uh we also encourage everybody to subscribe uh on their apple podcast uh google play music and a few other places where you get podcasts so uh we'll have more uh podcasts uh, coming to you next week uh so thanks again mike thank you so much Jason